Hey guys, welcome to our podcast at the Clemson Foothills Church. We're glad you're here. Join us as we discover what the Bible says about Jesus loving God and serving each other. Feel free to visit our website at clemsonfoothills.com and find us on Facebook at Clemson Foothills Church. At CFC, we're just a group of people following Jesus and helping others do the same. So hopefully this podcast will be useful to you. Now let's dive into the episode for this week. We have uh, a saying in the music ministry um, that you've got uh, one job, and that's not to mess up, okay? So uh, we'll, we'll try and do that this morning, but uh, if you don't know me, my name is Ben Galbraith, and, uh, and uh, our text for today is going to be 1 Corinthians 7, and we're going to read 1 through 16, so if you'd like to start turning there, that would be good, and... Um, I want us to take a moment to pray uh, silently in our hearts and our minds that God would speak to us this morning. All right. Uh, We're going to talk about some heavy stuff, some deep stuff this morning. And and we we are going to need to be in tune with God to hear these things. So let's let's just take a second and ask God to speak clearly to us this morning. Good morning, Father. We are so grateful to be here this morning as your church and as your body. Father, I pray that um, you would speak clearly to us this morning. Father, that uh, exactly what we need to hear will be said. Father, I pray uh, that uh, people will uh, go deaf when I say things that you don't want them to hear. And Father, I pray that... um, that you will give us ears to hear, eyes to see, a heart that is humble and willing to accept your word this morning. Father, I pray that uh, we'll take the things that we learn and apply them in our lives, and I pray that we can go out and be a brilliant and bright light to our community. Father, we love you. Thank you for this time. It's so special, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to read in 1 Corinthians 7, and Keith was like, he so badly didn't want to preach this sermon that he was like, he was planning it all out, I'm going to Florida, I'm going, I'm getting away so I don't have to teach this lesson. Um, and so, um, so here I am, I get to, I get to go, go through this, uh, so Let's just recap a little bit. We have been going chapter by chapter. We've been going through uh, 1 Corinthians, and it's been very, very uh, insightful. We get to, we've been learning a lot about that church. Uh, but what have we learned so far about the Corinthians? We've learned that they're prideful. You know, they're hung up on their teachers and who was in leadership. Uh, they, they, they were prideful in their sin. And how they were dealing with that sin and how the church was dealing with that sin. We learned that there were disputes in the church over those teachers and who they're following. But then there were actually lawsuits going on. There were things going on where they were going to outsiders for help. Instead of dealing with it inside the church, Paul called the Corinthian church immature. And uh, they lived in a place where they all consider themselves very wise uh, and, and learned. And uh, they were worldly. They lived in a depraved city. All right. And that was creeping into the church. And they were dealing with that stuff. And we also learned that they were deeply loved by Paul. This church, despite all of the stuff going on, 
Paul talked to them as a father with his children, and he was dealing with these things and helping them navigate them so they could continue to walk, um, walk in the light. And so for us today, we read these things and we're like, man, that church was stinking messy. We, would n- we are not like that, you know? We would never be like that. But we've got to remember that this is our heritage. This is like, these are our brothers and sisters and our family and our Christian heritage. These guys were on the ground floor of Christianity, learning from Paul, trying to navigate these things. And, uh, and for us, we have about 2,000 years of teaching and commentary and teachers to help guide us in this, but, but they were on the ground level. We can't think that we're better than them. Amen. Voltaire once said, history never repeats itself, but man always does. And that's the truth, isn't it? It's true. We may appear on the surface to be cleaner and more put together because we have iPhones and day timers and we're organized or whatever, and we have nicer clothes and cars and all that stuff but we are just as messy as they were. And we have to to be able to read these and learn from their example because the lessons still apply in our life today. So I've got a preface before we dive into this, this this section of scripture. I've got a a trigger warning. You guys might get triggered when we read this. And uh, we are going to talk about sex and divorce today. And if you're visiting with us for the first time, I'm sorry you chose today. We are going, roll with us. We're going for first, <laughs> through 1 Corinthians and, you know, we'll, we'll continue on through this. Uh, but it's going to take us this morning to be thoughtful. We're, we can't just jump to conclusions. We're going to have to, like, be patient and, and try and get down deep into what Paul was talking about. We're also going to have to be mature as we talk about mature things. And so we have a whole row back here of young people. If we if if you hear things and you're like, what in the world are they talking about? Please have a conversation with your parents about these things. These things. uh, You're welcome, Brent. This is for you. Um, and, And I say that you're like, oh, Ben, you're killing me here. But in the reality of it. They should be hearing this stuff from us and in our households because the world is really trying to preach something different and trying to get them to live a different way. So I want to put that out there. We're going to talk about some heavy, deep things, but talk about this in your families. Um, So we are in this passage. We are transitioning into a a time where Paul is beginning to answer some questions that the church had. So what does that mean practically? That 1 Corinthians was probably not the first letter written to the Corinthians. They were in correspondence. They were writing each other and they had questions. As you can imagine, a church that is like just starting, Paul gets it going and then moves on. I'm sure there's questions coming up. They had to deal with some of those things. And so so he is going back and expounding on some of Jesus's teachings, but then also going into areas that Jesus didn't ever specifically talk about. He's having to say Jesus didn't specifically answer this one question. So I'm going to, you know, let me help help you guide through this or navigate through this. So what's been happening? All right. They are in. And I I just want to give some like backstory before we read this too, a little more context, because if we just read this for face value, I mean, we're going to miss some of this because obviously they've been asking some questions. And I just want to like try and get our heads wrapped around some of this uh, before we read. So obviously sexual immorality was big in the Corinthian culture. You know, Aphrodite, you know, they're like like. There's just like a lot of depravity going on. And so because of that, there were disciples who were choosing to be celibate in their marriages. That sounds crazy, right? <laughs> yeah, I said the same thing. 
So, so this decision was typically being made by one spouse without consulting the other spouse. So you can imagine the turmoil that would be going on in marriages if someone is hearing, hearing Paul teach, we've got to be holy and we've got to, like in this town, we've got to be set apart. And they said, yes, I got a great idea. Me and my husband are no longer going to have sex. You know, me and my wife no longer going to have sex. And then you just making that on your own. You're setting your spouse up to lose. Okay, so there was sexual immorality going on in the church. And this wasn't the sole cause of that, but this was contributing to it. If you can, guys, that that sounds right, doesn't it? That if you're leaving your husband or wife out to dry, that that would lead them to do things they shouldn't do if that's big in the culture. So why would they have been doing this? Um, you know, we'll read here a slogan of the church at the time was it is good for a man not to have relations with a woman. So could you imagine that being on a banner in the back of the church or up here? You're in such a depraved place that it's it's good for a man not to have relations with a woman. And so if that's the case, they were trying they were taking that further than where it should have gone. They're thinking if it's righteous to do that when you're single, it must be even more righteous to do that if you're married. You know, some people thought that it may give them a better testimony to outsiders. When I'm sharing the gospel, my story, my testimony will be even better if I'm celibate in my marriage. And that's obviously not the only reason. There's obviously sin involved in all this. There are things, other things going on, but those seem to be, from what I've been reading, the big causes of why some of this was happening. But that doesn't sound right. And it just like, we may not even, that may not even compute in our heads. You're like, that just, why would they think that's right? Like, it doesn't make sense. But that's what we're dealing with here in this verse. And then finally, as we get to the end of this section, you have... New converts, you have people who are converting to Christianity who were divorcing their non-believing spouses, okay? And so, again, you're like, okay, why does that make sense? But some believe at the time that the Jews in the church were teaching the Ezra 10. They were teaching Ezra's teaching where it said, leave The pagan wives, leave your foreigner wives so that you're wholly committed to me. Okay, and so that's what it's believed is that that like these new converts were hearing this teaching. And so they're like, Paul, we need some clarification on this topic. And then obviously there were some people in the church that were just using that as an excuse to divorce their spouse. (laughs) Woo. Okay. So a lot going on here. That's the backstory. Let's jump in and read and, and, and read what Paul said here. Okay. So now in response to the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have relations with a woman. But because sexual immorality is so common, each man should have his own wife and each man should have her own husband. A husband should fulfill his marital responsibility to his wife and likewise a wife to her husband. A wife does not have the right over her own body, but her husband does. In the same way, a husband does not have the right over his own body, but his wife does. Do not deprive one another sexually, except when you agree for a time to devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again. Has anyone ever fasted from that? I don't know if that anyone has ever done that before in reality. Um, Then come together again. Otherwise, Satan may tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say the following as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all people were just like me, but each has his own gift from God. One person in his way and another in that way. I say to you, the unmarried and the widows, it is good for them if they remain as I am. But if they do not have self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with desire. 
I command the married, not I, but the Lord. A wife is not to leave her husband. But if she does, if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to leave his wife. But I, not the Lord, say to the rest, if any brother has an unbelieving wife and he and she is willing to live with him, he must not leave her. Also, if any woman has an unbelieving husband and he is willing to live with her, she must not leave her husband. For the unbelieving husband is set apart for God by the wife and the unbelieving wife is set apart for God by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be corrupt, but now they are set apart for God. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him leave. A brother or sister is not bound in such a case. God has called you to live in peace. For you, wife, how do you know whether you will save your husband? Or you, husband, how do you know whether you will save your wife? Okay, there is a lot in here. And I'm telling you, multiple sermons could be preached on this. And so for me, the tough part of putting this together was to navigate the weeds and to try and flesh out some of the bigger points. Okay, I'm going to miss things and I'm going to like there's going to be things that I gloss over, but I'm going to try and pull out the big chunks here. So the simple answer answers here are if you're single, be celibate. If you are married, have sex with your spouse. And if you're married to an unbeliever, don't divorce them, okay? There's the lesson. We can go home, right? No? All right, we're going to go deeper. But, you know, first round of, you know, you're, you're diving into it. That's what, what, what hit me. Okay, so let's jump into this. It is good for a man not to have relations with a woman. We're right there at the beginning. That was the slogan. That was probably the question. And Paul starts off with, yeah, it's right. It is good for a man not to have relations with a woman. All right. He says, yes, that is true. And that is a high calling. And that is a a righteous way to live. But if you can't handle that way of life, you should get married. Okay, and that is also a good way to live. There was tension in this subject here. There was tension here because one was seen, they were arguing over one being more spiritual than the other. And we can see very clearly here that Paul was a bit indifferent about it. He says, I would love for you to live as I do, but that may not be your gift. Get married, you know. So we, I want us to consider here at the very beginning, that, um, that one is not more spiritual than the other. So I want to read this quote by Martin Luther. All right. He says, kiss and re-kiss your wife. Let her love and be loved. You are fortunate in having overcome by an honorable, honorable marriage. That celibacy in which one is a prey to devouring fires and unclean ideas. That unhappy state of a single person, male or female, reveals to me each hour of the day so many horrors that nothing sounds in my ear as bad as the name of monk or nun or priest. A married life is a paradise, even where all else is wanting. All right, so... Obviously, Martin Luther did not like being single, okay? (laughs) I love this. That unhappy state of a single person reveals to me each hour of the day so many horrors. You know, he, Martin Luther, he had some kooky ideas about sex and marriage and all that stuff. But I thought fitting to jump into talking about single people, okay? I think that's a great place to start. And I want to start by saying that being single is no better or no worse than being married. It is a state that we are in at some point in our life. <laughs> and, uh, and that's okay. We're called to be righteous in both places. Right. Paul was single and he wished that all people were like him. 
Obviously, Paul thought very highly of being single. He was able to focus solely on his mission, solely on the work in front of him with undivided attention. But he said because sexual immorality is so common, marriage was a great option and still is a great option for people today. So when we are single, the calling is, the expectation is that you are celibate until you are married, okay? Celibate, if you didn't know what that means, that is a religious vow of abstinence, of sex, okay? The different people use abstinence. Abstinence is just kind of like avoiding sex. Being celibate is like a religious vow. And when we got baptized, that's what you signed up for. You said, okay, if I'm not married in this moment, I am going to be celibate. I'm going to have sexual integrity until I get married. But Paul wasn't dumb, okay? He realized the implications of that. He realized that people would burn with desire. He says that. He realized that people like, that sex is a huge force, all right? And that it was difficult. And he noted that being celibate, being single is a gift, all right? We, as, as disciples, have to have to go into our walk with sexual integrity and, the ex, and that being the expectation, that there's no compromise in that. I want to jump, um, I want to jump over to 1 Thessalonians 4. And I feel like this is a great, uh, I think we talked a lot about this last week, uh, but I, I feel like this is a great parallel verse In 1 Thessalonians 4, we'll read 3 through 8. It says, For this is God's will, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, so that each of you knows how to control his own body in sanctification and honor, not with lustful desires like the Gentiles who don't know God. This means one must not transgress against and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger of all these um, offenses, as we also previously told and warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but to sanctification. Therefore, the person who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who also gives you his Holy Spirit. So Paul is talking about this sexual integrity that we've got to have. I'm talking about it. And if you don't like it, you're not like you're not going against me and what I think you're going against God and his plan for your life. This stuff is important. And this references back into. First Corinthians six, like we read, run from sexual immorality Every sin a person can commit is outside the body. On the contrary, the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. We were meant to be sanctified. We're meant to be set apart. Our single lives should look night and day different than the world. This also means, and and this is the last little bit I want to say about being single. It is very important for us to marry well. Okay? Waiting for the right person is a good thing. When we are filled, like, like, I know this feeling. I waited, I, I got married when I was 29 Okay, and I was trying to be pure for a long time in there. And that burning of sexual desire will make you want to be desperate. It'll make you want to just take the first old thing that comes along. And I want to encourage you to be patient. Have high standards. It's a very good thing to have high standards and not to compromise in this area. 
And so I want to expound on that just a little bit. When I say high standards, I mean have God's standards. Okay? Not just, like, it's very easy to say, man, I've got high standards and I'm not going to compromise because I'm looking for Mr. Perfect. Let me tell you, that person does not exist. Okay? The perfect person is not there. But finding someone that is living a godly life is doable. You can find those people. Uh, But it takes being patient and looking for it and having that expectation. There is no expectation for you to get married at a certain age. Okay? If you have that expectation, it's because you have been looking at Instagram too much and because you are trying to keep up with the Joneses. All right, there is something in you that wants to be where someone else is. No one's putting that on you. Be patient. God will provide. And I'm a testament of that. I got engaged once and it wasn't the right person. We broke it off two weeks before the wedding. I waited another, I mean, it was seven years after that, maybe. And and Sarah came along and it was, I'm telling you, it was worth the wait. Wait for a godly person. It, 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 is, it is very important. So that's all I've got to say to you guys, single people. Live, live night and dark different than the world does. Be set apart. So we're going to move in. Married people, we're going to continue on this path here. Uh, going through this scripture in verse 3 of chapter 7, it says, A husband should fulfill his marital responsibility to his wife and likewise a wife to her husband. He's talking sexually here. That's the responsibility. A wife does not have the right over her own body, but her husband does. In the same way, a husband does not have the right over his own body, but his wife does. Do not deprive one another sexually. Okay, that right there. I don't know about you, but this section right here may catch you off guard. All right. And you may hear that and you're like, hold up. My body's my body and nobody's body but mine. Okay, I don't know if you guys heard that in middle school, but. um, (laughs) But we've got to go into this with the right mindset, because if we just go face value, we all have these different perceptions of sex and it can mess up what what's trying to be taught here. Just like with single people, married people. God wants us to have sacred, set-apart marriages. Our marriages should look night and day different than the world's marriages. But because sexual immorality is so common, we've got to be set apart. That is like, that was the norm back then, that is the norm today. Everything in this world is pushing a perversion of sex. They're trying to use sex to get us to buy stuff, to manipulate all this stuff. And we have got to be set apart and different. Sex is a powerful, powerful force. It is so powerful. Like when I was thinking, I was like, what are the most powerful forces in this life? First one, gravity. All right. It's keeping the planets in orbit. It's keeping us held on the ground. Gravity is a pretty sinking, powerful force that we feel all the time. Hunger. People do crazy things when they're hungry. All right. Like we've all felt that feeling. And right after that, it's like sexual desire is after that. I think we've all at some point felt that pull. But we've got to be careful with what we do with it and how we handle it. Sexual integrity is just as important in our marriage as it is before we get married. We can't think that once we get married, that we no longer have to be have integrity in the in the area of sex. Just because we can have sex doesn't mean we can just do whatever the world we want to do. Single people start practicing this integrity now and it will make your marriages better. Don't compromise now. And let me tell you, it'll make your marriage even better. 
So this concept of the, this set-apart marriage, we jump back up to 1 Corinthians 6. The two will become one flesh. We, we see this sacred body. Mark 10, 7, thus they are no longer two, but one. Ephesians 5, 21 through 33, I preached about this uh, a month or so ago. Submit to one, one another in fear of the Messiah. When we get married, we are no longer two separate people, but we are a joining together of man and woman. Two becoming one. Let's read verse four again. A wife does not have the right over her own body, but her husband does. In the same way, a husband does not have the right over his own body, but his wife does. You may read that and it may scare you. It may freak you out because of experiences you've had. But God's design is not for two individuals to be living in the same house together once you get married. But the, in the marriage, we are entangling. We're becoming one person. She is becoming me and I am becoming her. I am relinquishing some of my control and giving it to my wife. And in turn, she is relinquishing some of her control and giving it to me. That's scary. But it's also beautiful when it's done well. It's a beautiful thing. It's awesome. What I have is hers and what hers becomes mine. And this includes our bodies. This right here makes more sense when we consider, therefore, glorify God in your body. In the scripture we just came from in chapter 6, our bodies, as Keith talked about, is we have our individual bodies. We have our body with our, our wives, with our spouse. And then we have the church body. And in each of those facets, we have got to glorify God with our body. And the same is true in our marriages. So what I'd like to do is have Sarah come up and share a little bit and hopefully give uh, a little uh, more perspective on some of this. Hey, y'all. Um, <laughs> thank you. Um, so just going off of what Ben was saying, thinking about that 1 Corinthians 6, 16, and um, also Mark 10, 7, talks about this two becoming um, one flesh. Um, you know, I think about this now, we're united in purpose. I come from this to this mindset of like everything was just about me and my relationship with God. And now this is about us and ours, and we're doing this together. Um, you know, I think about we're bringing two personalities and needs and desires, you know, into, into one. Um, this two becoming one, I'm, you know, it used to be just about me protecting myself, but now it's us taking care of each other and doing that, me protecting Ben and vice versa. Um, and side note, I'll talk about this just a little more later. All this too, I have to be focused on my relationship with God first. You know, I think there are, um, that just has to come first. I'll, I'll talk about that later. But focusing on discipleship and, and denying myself comes first in this, this one another relationship. Um, so Ephesians 5.21, I wanted to read there real quick. Um, just wanted to talk to the women. Um, but this says, Ephesians 5.21, we're familiar with this. Submit to one another in fear of the Messiah. Wives should submit to their husbands as they do to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, just as the Messiah, um, as the head of the messianic community, is himself the one who keeps the body safe. Just as the messianic um, community submits to the Messiah, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. My translation's a little bit different. I forgot to tell you I'm reading from the, um, the complete Jewish Bible. But anyway, um, so that's submitting 
to my husband, submitting to Ben. I'm prioritizing the interest of him above myself. Um, we do this as a body of Christ. We're submitting ourselves to Jesus. He is the head, just like the husband is the head of a marriage. Um, I love that example. I feel like that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, that submission, though, doesn't mean being inferior. But as a wife, I recognize that Ben, again, is the head. Um, it, there comes with a respect. It's not taking this position of power. It's <coughs> submitting myself to Ben. I, I don't know if that's making sense. Um, but I think, too, of that agape love um, thinking about 1 Corinthians 13 and this love that we are ha- we have a commitment to one another, a commitment to the well-being of each other. And I think when I think about that love and that sub- submitting relationship, like Ben was saying, it's beautiful. From the world's perspective, that doesn't sound appealing. But when you are prioritizing the other person's needs above your own and then committing to the other person's well-being, That's awesome. That is, when it's done in that way, it is awesome. And it's not easy. It's hard. um, But it is beautiful. Um, Back to 1 Corinthians 7, um, thinking about how my body's not my own anymore, but my husband's. Um, You know, I was just, I was writing down what what even the world in, in marriage, what sex means. I know we talked about this last week. It's selfish. It's concerned about what I want. It's not special. It's not sacred. It's not holy. And, and that godly view is totally, it's opposite. I am focused on Ben, his needs above my own. It's denying myself. Um, sex is special, and it's awesome, and it's supposed to be shared with one person. That's that godly, that godly view. Um, you know, and I share these things, too. I feel like I can't make eye contact with anybody. I'm sharing these things because I'm not perfect in this. I feel like reading this, I have things I need to repent of and change. Um, you know, I, I think um, I love Ben dearly, but I think I, I've been realizing that sometimes, you know, I've got two babies working, taking care of the household, that sometimes I'm leaving the very last for Ben. And I don't want to do that. Like, I love Ben so dearly. I don't want to be giving him my last, the last bit. You know, we give God our first fruits. We give God our best. I want to give my husband my best. Um, You know, I think about, and I hope this is not TMI. We're just going to be mature. Making Making our intimate time special and thoughtful, planning date nights, times to spend together, you know, I think those things are important. Even the longer you've been married, when, when work and, you know, babies and all that stuff, it's important to still make that time special. Um, you know, I'm, I think I'm trying to repent in having this selfless view. You know, I feel my flesh, my just wanting to be, to be selfish and considering myself. That's not how God wants me um, to live. Um, it, and, and this is a decision. This is making that decision to love one another. All of this, too, I mean, all the, these things are good things, but it's hard. What, what I was saying before, life just brings hard things. It brings responsibilities. Um, but I have to be focused on God and what he commands. Um, and it's to put Ben above myself. So, And it's awesome. We get to constantly learn and grow together and change and repent. Um, Amen for that. I'm really, really grateful for that. And then when, just shout out too with, with, if you're single, like this is great stuff to practice, like being selfless, taking care of other people, considering other people, because like what Ben said, that comes, that that is a huge part of marriage is putting the other person above herself. Anyway. Awesome. Thank you, Sarah. All right. So we're going to sum up the sex portion of our talk here. Um, thank you, sir. Uh, Paul did not give a prescription on how much sex married people should be having. That was not the point of this, okay? But the heart of what he was teaching is that we should fulfill our marital duty in a way that meets the needs of each partner, selflessly and mutually building each other up. 
It can't just be one person making and calling all the shots. It's got to be both of them together, working together and navigating this area of their life and all areas of their married life. Um, And then there must be communications about wants and needs. Paul said it was better to marry than to burn with desire in a husband and wife. We should make sure our partners don't burn up (laughs) with desire. Okay, so that's put a fork in it. That's done. We're going to move on. Okay, so now we get to move over to the fun topic of divorce. Divorce is is it's horrible. It's it's a it's a really hard thing. I want to give you some stats, some things here about divorce just here in America. Every 13 seconds, there is one divorce in America. That equates to 277 divorces per hour, 6,646 divorces per day, 46,523 divorces per week, and 2,419,196 divorces per year. Okay, that means there are nine divorces in the same time it takes for a couple to recite their wedding vows. About two minutes. More than 554 divorces occur during the typical romantic comedy movie. About two hours. 1,385 divorces happen during the average wedding reception. About five hours. Over a 40-year period, 67% of first marriages will terminate. So Brent, you're 40. In your lifetime, 67% of every first marriage, first-time married couple, will end in divorce. Among all Americans 18 years of age or older, whether they've been married or not, 25% of those people have gone through a marital split. So what that means is if you're over 18, a quarter of you guys are in a family that has had divorce in it. 15% of adult women in the United States are divorced or separated today. 15%. Compared with less than 1% in the 1920s. The average, first mar- the average first marriage that ends in divorce lasts about eight years. Divorce is prevalent. Divorce is going on like crazy right now. It is like, it's hard to talk to somebody who doesn't, hasn't been in a divorce or been a part, like know somebody that is, is divorced. And, and I, I have to reiterate, our marriages should look night and day different than the world's marriages. We have got to glorify God with our body, with our marriage. Let's read uh, verses 7, 10 through 11. It says, I command the married, not I, but the Lord. A wife is not to leave her husband but if she does leave, she must remain unmarried for, or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to leave his wife. Paul starts off this little section here where they've got some questions specifically about new converts divorcing their unbelieving spouse. And he said, let me just set the record straight. This is what Jesus thinks about divorce. It's no good. If you have two disciples that are married, divorce is not an option. We have an aversion to hard things. If things get tough, our first instinct is to blame somebody else, say, I'm not to blame, and to bail. When we get married, it is a lifetime long thing. Again, a reason why to marry well. Again, I want to say this. 
If you have two people that are trying to be righteous, divorce is not an option. That means if you fight a lot, if you fall out of love, if you're bored with your spouse, if your sex life is bad, etc., 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 divorce is not an option. These are not good excuses to get divorced. But we look around and people go into getting married and think, hey, if this doesn't work out, we'll just get divorced. That's not the right view of marriage. That is not how we should enter into a vow like that. When we get married and we have issues, we are to reconcile, talk it out, figure it out, apologize, fulfill our marital duty and fix it. We've got to repent because that's my guy. That's my girl. And because Jesus is Lord of my life and we were set apart for his purposes, not our own. When I say said earlier about that higher calling, this is what I'm talking about. That high calling is not having a stable job, you know, not the best looks or like taking off all these boxes, you know, washboard abs, whatever. It's not those things. The high standard is God's calling for us, his standard. And we were meant to be set apart. What are your kids seeing in your marriages? Kids are watching and seeing how we deal with these things. If you've been a part of a divorce like marriage, the likelihood of you getting a divorce just statistically skyrockets because our kids are learning from our parents. We've got to set the example in our homes. We've got to glorify God with our body and our marriage. Okay, but I know you're probably thinking, but Ben... What if there's cheating or what if what if that somebody's getting beat up in the marriage or some other extreme circumstance? What about that? There's got to be a way out in those. OK, we've got to take a step back. Is that happening in your marriage right now? If it is, please come talk to me. Come talk to Tyler, Brent, my dad, Jody. Talk to somebody in this room and get help. We, we don't want people to be in marriages where people are getting hurt or abused. That is not what's being said here, okay? We've got to deal with those things on a case-by-case basis. We need to look at this as what's going on in my marriage behind our closed doors and not spring to some hypothetical thing. We've got to focus on the reality of our relationships now. But I also want to say on that same note is if you are in your marriage having issues and it feels like divorce is is getting brought into the conversation, that is a warning sign. Go get help because that's not good. You have those same people I just said, go talk to them. Say, hey, we need help. We want to do right. We want to be right with God and with each other but we can't figure out this situation or this hiccup we're in or whatever. Get help. We can't can't be on an island with those things. But divorce is not always so black and white. And if you think it is, you're, you're not thinking deeply enough about it. So we need to be, we need to think about this godly. The the expectation first and foremost is that it's not an option. When you have two healthy spiritual people, it's not going to come up. We're going to focus on repentance and changing. So Sarah, you want to say a couple things about divorce? Y'all doing okay? No, this is heavy stuff. Um... But I just want to share a couple things. I, um, there was this couple in Atlanta that shared this with me, that when they, before they had gotten married, they had discussed there was going to be no back door 
in their marriage. What they meant by that was there was going to be no escape. Things got hard. We were going to figure it out. We were going to work together. We're going to get help. Whatever it takes, there's no back door. There's no escaping. And I love that because hard things are going to come. Yeah. And I've been married for only eight years, and I know there's more to come, but we've gone through hard things yeah. and needed help. And, um, you know, I think about when you make your vow, for better or for worse, like that is real. On that day, you're like so excited and it's awesome. And then I'm not saying reality sets in, but the day-to-day life happens and hard things happen and come up. That for better or for worse is a commitment we're making to each other. Um, I hope I'm saying this right. Tell me if this doesn't make sense, but no one is above divorce. If we are disciples, you can't think that's that might not happen to me or it's not going to happen to me. And what I mean by that is I think about... First Peter 5, 8, when it says Satan's like uh, prowls around like a roaring lion, like Satan does not want marriages to work out. He will do whatever it takes to try to split it up. And, I, and I'm saying that to have a mindset that we need to be on guard back to like what I was saying earlier about like my relationship with God is so important. You know, I think about Luke 9, denying myself. Um, I was writing down here Ephesians 4, 16. Uh, let me... Uh, read that real quick. Um, it says, under his control, the whole body is being fitted and held together by the support of every joint, with each part working to fulfill its function. This is how the body grows and builds itself self up in love. Me fulfilling my function as a, dis- as a disciple and making Jesus Lord is going to affect my family, is going to affect the church. Um, you know, and right above that, in Ephesians 4.1, um, it talks about living a life worthy of the gospel. All this stuff, just it ties together. This commitment, this choice, this decision to follow Jesus affects my marriage. And um, does, that, does that make sense, what I'm saying? It's uh, just having that sober mindset that I'm not above that. I, I have got to work on you know, denying myself and, and, and making Jesus Lord every day. Um, my parents are divorced. Um, like Ben was saying, I think, I think there are so many different situations. This is such a hard topic. It is not black and white, but I, I will say it divorce. God hates divorce. It talks about that in the old Testament. Um, it does happen, but there's so many consequences that come with divorce. My parents got, it's almost been 10 years, maybe eight, seven, something like that. But we're still dealing with stuff. Holidays, my dad got remarried. Um, there's, our, our kids are in the mix and trying to navigate those waters. Um, it just looks different. And, you know, I think we are trying to figure that out. But I'm saying that there's just so many consequences to divorce. It is not a good thing. Um, but saying that with Jesus, there is healing, there is forgiveness. We can move on. Like, even though my parents, you know, have gotten divorced, um, there can be forgiveness. There can be healing. There can be a new start to things. It's not easy. It's hard, but, um, I'm thankful of that because of Jesus. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Uh, yeah, but yeah, with God and following his way, we can have these healthy marriages and, Thank you, uh, Sarah. And I I wanted Sarah to speak on some of these things, one, because of her experiences, but two, just having, you know, when you talk about sex, you talk about divorce, having a woman's perspective on some of that can be very helpful. And she comes at it in a way that is different from my perspective. So thank you for sharing those things, Sarah. So. We've got to have we've got to have set apart marriages, and so what we're going to do now is we're, we're I'm almost done. I want to finish this verse off, uh, this section off, and kind of jump into the situation at hand that they were dealing with. So um, let's jump into twelve. It says, "But I, not the Lord." Say to the rest, if any brother has an unbelieving wife and she is willing to live with him, he must not leave her. Also, if any woman has an unbelieving husband and he is willing to live with her, she must not leave her husband. For the unbelieving husband is set apart for God, 
by the wife and the unbelieving wife is set apart for God by the husband. Otherwise, your children will be corrupt, but now they are set apart for God. But it but if the unbeliever leaves, let him leave. Um, A brother or sister is not bound in such a case. God has called you to live in peace for you. Wife, how do you know whether you will save your husband or you husband? How do you know whether you will save your wife? So here's here's where things kind of get tricky. You know, it's it's not tricky in a sense. He's saying, okay, that first principle, our first instinct should not be to leave our spouse, whether they're a believer or not a believer. That's that's not the first instinct. Okay, if if they're willing to live with you and you're living this set apart life and you're living, you should be drastically different than how you were and your husband or wife is still willing to stick around for all that, then awesome. That's how you should be. The second bit of that is that, man, God, he says here, um, He said, God has called you to live in peace. And he understands that that causes a disruption in the household. You have somebody trying to live godly and someone who isn't, there's going to be some disruption in that house. God wants us to have peace in our homes. Okay, so if that person leaves, okay, Uh, we'll deal with that when that comes up. But the, the section here, what makes... What really makes sense of this is if we jump down uh, into to verse 17, it says each one should live his life in the situation the Lord assigned when God called him. So God has been working behind the scenes to get you where you are right now. For these new converts, God had been working and working and working to get them to find him and then for them to be in their families. You think about where we are today, each of us sitting in this room, I don't know where you came from or like what your, your past is like, but if it's your first time with us today, you were going about your business and someone invited you to come here and your trajectory shifted. Where you were going changed. You go back a week, a month, a year, 10 years ago, Somehow things happen, decisions were made, random things happen, and God has been working to get you to where you are right here, right now. And he's saying, why in the world would you mess that up? He's worked so hard to get you here right now. Why would you mess that up? Don't do it. (laughs) Stay. You don't know what God is going to do. So, so at this point here, we get into, this is where we might get into the weeds, you know, where it talks about, um, you know, the unbelieving wife is set apart for God by the husband, and then the children are set apart. And I, I just want to talk about, I was reading some commentaries, because this right here, I, I don't, I can't say I fully understand what that's going to look like. And you may be asking yourself is, all right, so is my husband or spouse going to be saved just by association? You know, is that what it's saying? I don't have all the answers, but I want to dive into a couple ideas real quick. And literally, we're going to talk about this and we're going to be done. Okay. But you have this idea where it says for the unbelieving husband is set apart for God by the wife and the unbelieving wife is set apart to God by the husband. And then it goes on to say, but now uh, your children are set apart for God. And this idea, if we go back up into to first Corinthians six, this whole idea, Keith preached about that being a sanctuary, being sanctified, this idea of being set apart. And some believe that the idea is that because you are set apart, so will your family be. Because you are no longer one, you're no longer just yourself, but you are sanctified. And because you're set apart, 
And you're one with your spouse, so your spouse will be set apart as well. So your family will. How that actually works, I'm not 100% sure. Okay? But we know that, obviously, Paul's talking about this here. Other people have the idea of, uh, and they, they say that this is like Joseph in Potiphar's house. We know that when Joseph went to Potiphar's house, he brought blessings to his house. Potiphar was blessed for being associated with Joseph. All right. And some believe that this is the same thing, that when a when a disciple goes into a home that doesn't know God and where there's unbelievers, that they should be a blessing on that house, shouldn't they? That makes sense that you put someone who's trying to be godly and be righteous. They're going to go into that home and things are going to start looking different. Things are going to change and it's going to benefit their family. So there's that idea there. With all of that, we have to we have to trust God because we can get down in the weeds and want some really specific answers on how this is all going to play out. All I can tell you is that God is working. He's worked to get you here so far. He's going to take care of your families if you are living righteously. So this is how I want to close out. Okay, the specific things. that we have talked about may not apply to you. These situations that the Corinthians were dealing with, but the heart of some of these teachings are clear. We, our body, our body here collectively, our body and our marriages and our individual bodies are meant to be sacred and set apart. We're set apart for his purpose, not our own. Because sexual immorality and divorce are so common, we must fight hard not to fall into the lies and traps of this world. In our example, the way that we live has the power to save our families and our community. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about us or have any questions, please visit ClemsonFoothills.com. You can also text Foothills to 94000 to stay up to date on everything going on here at CFC.